Welcome to Opinion Havers, a movie podcast for people with Kennergy. I'm Cody. And I'm Tyler. Tyler, what did we watch? Cody, we watched Barbie. No subtitle, no no colon, no nothing, just Barbie. (laughs) Barbie, colon, (laughs) nothing after Barbie. Tyler, I'm going to correct you. Look, we're about... We're a good 20 seconds in here, so I'll go ahead and tell you you made a mistake to start, all right? Here's the mistake you made. You watched Barbie. I watched Barbie twice, dude. I'm out here. You're living in the year 2005. I'm in the year 3005, whatever. 2008, the year 2000 and late. You know what I'm saying? Mm Oh, I saw it twice. I'm a grown man. I walked into that theater by myself. Friday night opening weekend and it was me and all the children and some of their moms. And let me tell you, weird crowd, weird crowd. And I'm so glad I did it. And um, it was more fun to watch it with Bailey as a date. I'll tell you that, but I don't I have no regrets. All right. I've got zero regrets. Why don't we talk about it? Tyler, what is this movie about? Cody, let me tell you, Barbie is a story of friendship, betrayal, home renovations, and (laughs) coming of age. All right. That's really what it is. All right. You know, we meet Barbie. Everything's going great. And then all of a sudden, you know, in this perfect world, uh, the perfect life wrapped in plastic or whatever they said in the aqua song. Um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe stuff starts to change a little bit, you know, maybe you mm. got to go see a former member of the SNL cast mm-hmm. to see what's going on. And then maybe you need to go through some magic portals. Maybe you meet a Hispanic family in Los Angeles. All right. Maybe, you know, and then you have adventures you uh, reuse some characters from the Lego movie, which I thought was weird, you know, and then you, uh, you know, learn about horses yeah. in the patriarchy and then, yep. you, you know, and then it's, uh, and then there's, uh, you know, civil war and, uh, <laughs> and then there's some voting and some politics. Whoa, whoa, hold everything on, hold that on. made <laughs> Everything that made Star Wars episode one and, uh, you know, a, a, a perfect film is is present mm. here. But who would you say is the Jar Jar of the Barbie movie? And I'm going to look, you even answer this question with any character and I'm going to be upset with you, but go ahead. There's a real answer. And then there's, you know, I'm sure there's a yeah. million. Should we say it on three? Sure. All right. One, two, three. Alan. Stop. You wait. Get out of here. Oh, of course man. It's Alan. I mean, you could argue many things, but Alan it's, is but the it's right like, answer. But Alan's like also it. like the heart and soul of this movie. You know what I'm saying? Alan represents the viewer. All right. That's, I don't know where, <laughs> where I'm going to go from that. I never see anything past that. The thing is, Cody, I. Here's the problem. All right. Let me tell you cast your mind back, Cody. To the mm-hmm. past when little old Tyler was in college, okay? And I was going to do it. This is a boy. Stop. He's walking into these math and programming and engineering finals, acing them, right? 
like a cool guy, like some real yeah. BDE swinging into that room. Go into that first English class. That English professor looks at us all and she says, but how did Thoreau make you feel? And then I said, no, thank you, sir. And I left and never came back. And that's why I don't have a bachelor's degree. And you do. You were willing to sit through the English classes and I was not. That's the end. Real talk. Tyler, that's let me tell reason. you. Let me tell you about my English class experience at the same university you went to. Here's the thing. Did I take AP English Lit in high school? Yes, I did. Did I do well enough on the AP test to test out of the first year of English? Yes, I also did. So I rolled into there. I got into the school and I was like, where's the film program? They're like, what are you talking about? I was like, right, but you do video production, right? And they were like, sort of. I was like, well, what classes are kind of like film classes? Here's the hoops I had to jump through to take some of these classes, all right? Really just one of them. There's a screenwriting class, but you have to do English 101, 201, and creative writing to get into it. But your boy skipped English 101. So I took 201, and the next semester I took creative writing. So bam, by my third semester, before I left on my little two-year pilgrimage, I could take a screenwriting class. I took basically all the film classes. <laughs> I took... Uh, a video editing class, an audio editing class, and screenwriting class that first year. And then I bailed and I came back and I was like, you know what? I don't want to do it. Film school's stupid. And here we are. I got a movie podcast. They all, they out here, they said I couldn't do it. They said, you didn't go to film school. You didn't try to become a filmmaker. It'll never work. And I say, I saw Barbie movie two times. All right. That's in your face. I mean, that's all it takes, really, right? Is, you know, you go out there and you learn by going and watching movies. Really, what are you doing but learning at the feet of the masters? Suckling at the teat. Yes. Of, of G squared. All right. You mm -hmm. know, you know, oh, yeah. Greta Gerwig. All right? Mama that's Greta. what you're doing. Here. Oh, yeah. I call her Mama Greta, but, you know, G squared also is an acceptable. She's had many monikers to her followers. Yeah. So English classes suck. That's what I'm saying. I don't know how we got yeah, to do something. I had a, my creative writing it. class, I had to make a dream journal and then write short stories based on my dreams. And let me tell you, here's the thing. The, the professor's like, everybody dreams. And they're like, I guess. And people are like, some people say they don't dream very often. I'm like, that's me. It's like, but here's the thing. Just start writing down whatever you can and you'll start remembering your dreams more. And let me tell you, did it work? And is it, it's a mistake. Here's the thing. People out here remembering their dreams. What you're doing is remembering your nightmares. You're fueling your nightmares. And every day it's going to be more vivid, your dreams, and it's going to haunt you, you know? So I did it. Do I still do it? I sure don't. You know what I'm saying? What's so good about, unless you're a lucid dreamer, a.k.a. I don't know, the Neo from the Matrix, like the one you've hacked into, you know, hacked into reality. Dreams aren't good, you know? Don't even do it. Don't dream. Don't make a dream journal. Here's the dream that I was able to remember enough to write the short story. I had never seen a James Bond movie. I was Daniel Craig's assistant. <laughs> I was the Bond girl, all right? In this dream, and he needed me to stab some people. We were running through like a bank building. I had to stab someone. It was not cool, all right? I held up my knife and I, you know, I was killing like people at computers. All right. 
This is the dream I had that I had turned into a short story. And did I look like a psychopath? Am I a psychopath? Probably. And that's why I don't do the dream journal. All right. I don't need to know what's in my soul. I know it's deep and it's dark. It's hidden in there for a reason. All right. I, uh, I never had to do it here. Cody, let me tell you, you talked about the lucid dreamers, right? Yeah. Let me tell you about something, right? You can, so you lucid dream, right? At least for me, like I, I, I can do it, right? There's always a point in my dreams where I'm like, hold on. None of this is real. Let me tell you about the, when a nightmare is happening. It doesn't make it to where I can wake up any better, but here's what will happen. Okay. Is that I'll be fighting a monster, right? And I'll be like, cool, but I can just make a gun spawn in my hand and I can shoot the monster. But then the monster in my brain is like, but no. it's like fighting a five-year-old with imaginary weapons. Cause they're like, but I'm impervious to bullets. And you're like, cool. I have a magic sword that can slice through anything. You're like, yeah, but swords just turn to dust when they touch me. You know? And so it's just you fighting something that can just make up the rules as fast as you can make up the rules. And it's, oh, man. Becomes, it goes from like, this is the most terrifying thing ever to like, this is the most infuriating thing I've ever dealt with in my life. <laughs> And so you wake up so mad at everything because you've just been arguing with yourself for what feels like days. Oh, man. Dreams are lies. Yeah. The last time this happened, Cody, it ended with me just slapping a werewolf in the face and saying, like, (laughs) what the freak, dude? Just stop. What are you doing? And it going like, oh, man, I'm sorry. And that's how it ended. It made me be just like running from this thing, battling it for hours, and then just smacking it across the face. It'd be like, freaking just do something already. And then it'd be like, I'm sorry. And that was the end of the dream. And I was so mad. Oh, man. I was like, you didn't even have the balls to kill me, werewolf man. All right? That's what you're hoping you could have. And I'm saying it's not worth it. Yeah. Don't do it. Look, the moral of the story, kids, don't dream, you know? Dreaming is for people, losers, you know, people who can't make their reality what it needs to be. Here's what I do. I wake up every morning at 4 a.m., you know? Once you wake up at 4 a.m., that's, that's four more hours to your day, all right? <laughs> now, if you get four more hours in day one, imagine how many more hours you're going to get in day two. Triple it, day two, you're getting 12 more hours, all right? Already, you're two and a half days into your week, one day into your week, all right? Uh, you drink some coffee with bacon grease mixed into it and you are good to go. That'll keep you full for six hours. Tyler, Barbie movie. Yeah. You saw it. Give me your hot take. I I mean, I went into Barbie, right? And I was just like, all right. So everybody like it's a meme, right? Like everybody's going to see Barbenheimer, right? And and then Mm -hmm. here's, okay, here's the hottest take that you will hear on this movie ever, right? Everyone else is going to be out here being like, Oh my gosh, I loved it. Other people are going to be like, I'm not gay, right? Those people (laughs) don't listen to those people, okay? You don't need those people in your life. If that's somebody's response to Barbie, Uh it'll make your life better if you just cut them completely out of your life. Are they your spouse? Kill them, bury them in the backyard, (laughs) you know? No one's going to care, all right? I guarantee you no one's coming to look for them. So, uh, but here's the hot take. You said when you went, it was you and a bunch of children and their yes. moms. Yes. 
those are bad moms. This is not a kid's movie. All right. I'm going to say it. This is not a children's movie. Everybody that's out here taking your kids to the kids movie Barbie and everyone who's out here like, I'm a grown man. I'm not a small child. I'm not going to go see Barbie. It's like, first off, it that's like saying like, why would I go see Saving Private Ryan? I'm not a 12 year old that plays Call of Duty. It's like, mm-hmm. yeah, cool. This is not a, tw- isn't, you should not take children to see Saving Private Ryan. All right. You should mm-hmm. not take children to see this movie. Okay. I bet you Oppenheimer is less emotionally scarring than this movie has the potential to be. All right. This movie is entirely based about dismantling the framework of society. Okay. And you're going to take your four year old toddler into this movie and be like, look, it's, pink barbie and it's like yeah you've totally that kid i mean don't get me wrong nothing about how what's good and bad about our society is like wrong in this movie Mm. but also they do some messed up stuff in my opinion Mm. but maybe maybe don't subject the small children to it yeah maybe just need to break their innocence you know whatever you know yeah classic you know total classic tyler let me tell you my hot take you know did I know this movie was going to be great? Yes, I did. Was I correct? Obviously, I was. Great movie. You know, you see the writer and the director and the cast, and you, how could they miss? And they didn't miss, and they nailed it. You're exactly right. Not a child's movie. And uh, all the children, you know, I say children. They were, you know, preteens, girls, like some like six, seven, eight-year-olds, but a lot of like nine to 12-year-olds. Which, you know, oh, it's PG-13, so should have maybe tipped you off, but it's fine. And, um, you know, they were over it. 20 to 30 minutes in, they were like, we've seen enough. This is not for me. And the moms, ooh, they ate it up, dude. They were, oh, I've never seen. I've never seen a room full of moms. You know what I'm saying? Like, just devour a movie before. And they... They loved it, all right? All the jokes about how hard it is to be a woman. Ooh, it got big laughs. It got big laughs from the children. They didn't even know a joke had happened, you know? But the moms, they ate it up. And, you know, honestly, it was fun to watch for that reason. Ooh, all right. And then when I sat with Bailey, we, you know, we loved every bit of it. Great movie. A lot of fun. And uh, it's a good one. Watch it. And like you said, you know, if someone can't handle it because of the gay thing, then yeah, no, those people, you know, we're going to shoot them out into the cold vacuum of space and with a note on their chest as to why, and uh, no one will have a problem with it, you know? SpaceX, get on it. Get on it, Elon. Get me the person cannon, you know? I want to launch him straight on out there, you know? George Clooney style. Remember gravity? All right. Should we uh, should we to. dive into it? Should we should we get into the goodies? Let's dive into it, Cody. Hop into the dream car, all right, and let's putt putt our way over to, uh, you know, to Barbie Land USA, which uh, is hosting the Spoiler Con Festival, which is spoiler. Ooh. We take Spoiler Town, we pack it up into trucks, and we truck it around the nation. And right now it's in Barbie Land, which is in Oregon. Oh, all right. I know, Love right? It. It's like you would Barbie think it's somewhere con- uh, different, but that's where it is. Con- yeah, no, you can't look. 
Can't miss SpoilerCon. Missed it last year. I had FOMO, you know, and I, I regretted it. So it's here in town. You got to go see it, you know, dress up. You walk in and they say Dumbledore was dead the whole time at the yeah. at Sixth Sense, you know, and then you're like, yeah, that's, that's how they that's how you get started. All right. And then it's how goes. you greet everyone. You greet everyone with a spoiler. And uh, we have a good time. Yeah. Oh, you wanna you wanna go first, Tyler? You want to, I mean, I can go first. If you're not itching to oh. go, I'm more than happy. Oh to no, go I just I just realized my watch is the thing. The my watch is the one thing that has been with us this whole podcast, and it has always timed our rants, and it has died. And I and honestly, I I'm getting a little bit sad about it as we're talking about it. Okay, so, oh, and now I gotta I gotta open up that clock app in my desktop like some kind of loser that doesn't have a smartwatch all right are you ready i mean i'm ready am i starting is that what's happening right now i thought you said that I you mean, were okay, starting i just want you know? never agreed to it so i'm i'm gonna hit start oh, right now my okay now goodness now. all right cody let me tell you about this movie okay here's what i have i have an issue with this movie first off let me tell you i liked this movie so much it is one of the only movies you know i said this about another movie do i remember that movie no. Oh, it was, uh, uh, I said it about Little Mermaid. It was the first time in a long time that I left a movie happy that I'd gone to go see it, you know, because I hate love and I hate fun, okay? That's a lie. I love every movie I go see. I'm the easiest person to please, but I will nitpick your movie into oblivion, but I will give you five-star review on everything because I have no integrity, Cody. All right. But see, this movie is so fun. All right. Will I be getting the steel book? I'm just going to give it to you right now, Cody. Absolutely. The steel book is going on the shelf. All right. I want it. I want to know. It's going to be pink. It's going to have glitter on it. Hopefully it's going on the shelf with the rest of them. Okay. Go put it right next to John Wick. Does that make sense in the alphabet? No, but I want them together for the lols, Cody, for the lols, because it'll be funny that it's part of it. And I can imagine it's part of the same universe for some reason, and it'll make me happy inside. Okay. But let's talk about what's wrong with this movie, Cody. Okay, let's say, so they go, they're right, it's like everything's perfect in Barbie land, right? Because the Barbies are in charge, the women are in charge, they do make the women out to be real dumb, but then later it's like, but were they smart the whole time? It's like, well, but like, you made it out like they were dumb in the beginning and that they're just all in charge because it's Barbie land and they're Barbies, right? Anyway, point is, they go on their adventure, right? Ken, he's out there, he's doing his best, all right? And he is getting strung along by this girl, right? He's at Ken, and then Ken is there just mucking it all up, okay? Ken cannot catch a break from Barbie or Ken, all right? And But Ken, he's like, I'm going to go on this adventure with Barbie, okay? You know, we're, I'm going with her. That's That'll show my love to her, right? She'll notice me senpai if I go with her, okay? So they go. What does Ken learn about? Everybody's favorite part. He learns about the patriarchy, okay? Everyone's favorite thing is the patriarchy. He learns about it, and he's like, I'm going to go back. I'm going to tell the other Kens about the patriarchy. And then he goes back. Was they? Then they take it over. Then it's Ken, Ken Topolis, or what is it called? I don't remember what the name of the place is called. Ken King, Kendom. The Kendom? Kendom, probably. Uh, they have their Mojo Dojo Casa houses, all that, right? So then the Barbie, when they come, she comes back. What's going on, Cody? Oh, no, we got to take back over. So then they make it, and she, you know, the mom gives her speech and everything. Here's my problem, Cody. I've told you the events now. Here's the problem. The problem is everything that was great about, about Barbie Land 
is the exact same thing that the rich white guys would say is great about our current system of racist patriarchy, right? Because it's like, well, everything's great for me. Where do the Kens sleep, Cody? Nobody knows where the Kens sleep because nobody cares about the Kens. The Ken, they, all they care about is this is Barbie's dream house, not Barbie and Ken's dream house. Nobody cares about the Kens. So what do the Kens do? They seize the means of production, Cody. <laughs> they rise up. Okay, they take over everything and they make the patriarchy so that they are respected. Okay, and then the Barbies come back and they're like, no, no. The only way that works is when the Kens have to sleep in the dirt on the street, all right? And then they proceed to do that. And then what do they do? They're like, well, we can't outvote the Kens somehow, even though I guarantee you, Cody, there's more Barbies than there are Kens, all right? So they should have just been able to beat them in a straight legal vote. But no, what do they have to do? Let's make the Kens kill each other. Let's do that. Let's make them kill each other on the beach for our affections. That's what we'll do. We'll play mind games with them. We'll make them kill each other on the beach. And then we will storm the Capitol and restore our version of government. What I'm saying is Barbies are the bad guys. They're the MAGA people. They're the Trump supporters of this world. And everybody's like, see, women are better. But I'm like, but this system is not better. It's just the same thing in reverse. Barbie is Trump. All of her supporters are it's MABA, right? Make, no, wait, whatever, make Barbie land pink again. That's what it is. Whatever that, whatever words you can make out of that, that's what it is. Okay. Uh, you know, and that's the problem I had with it, Cody, is there's no solution offered here. Just that, hey, guys are bad, girls are cool. And then they're like, but then the guys are like, well, maybe we could share power. And what do they say to them? No. <laughs> Which is what the heck kind of end? It's very funny, but I'm like, you had, you were right there. You could have done it, and you said, "Screw that, no." Tyler, you did great. All right, you absolutely nailed it, and I'm so proud of you. And I'm also mad at you because you did it so good that now, I mean, I gotta go right into it, but I I need to dialogue with you, but it's monologue time. It's monologue, it's soliloquy, and I started it. Tyler, I mean, you nailed it, you did great. I'm gonna do the same thing, because did I love this movie? Absolutely, 100%. Was it delightful? Yes. Um, do I love Greta? Yes. Do I love Noah Baumbach? 100%. You already know this, all right? So let's dive into the problem with the movie. Is the movie fantastic? Yes. Are the costumes amazing? Yes. Is the production design some of the best I've ever seen? Absolutely. I mean, the, the vision of G squared is just, I mean, she's always been a good director, but it was such an impressive feat for her to do this at a scale that it blew up and became a billion dollar movie is just fantastic, you know? And I mean, I don't think there's ever been a movie that like was so female focused that broke that billion dollar mark directed by a woman. It was so cool to see. All right. With all that said, here's the problem with the movie. I mean, you nailed it and you thought you got even, you didn't even see it twice and you got down to the nitty gritty. All right. But here's my problem with the movie. So much fun. It's so verbose. And it's so heady that it's just a little bit in its own way, you know? And uh, it's a good story and everything. 
but they get so far into the headiness that like it ties itself a little bit into a knot. And to your point, it doesn't quite have the most satisfying resolution for how many ideas they packed into it and how many like four syllable words they have in there. It didn't quite pay it off the way it needed to. Cause in the end and look, Hey, to the Barbie's credit, the Kens get to be, they get a lower circuit court judge. You know what I'm saying? They, they get one position of menial power, you know? So there's, it's a start, right? And I mean, to their point, look, in their world, the Barbies are, the, right, you, the, the old white men. They have all the education, all the power. You can't just throw it to the Kens because they're a bunch of himbos, all right? They're a bunch of hot pieces of uh action just for the barbies to look at and string along you know what i'm saying that's what they're there for they're there because the barbie needs an accessory that's uh you know not just a car or a purse or an outfit they need an accessory that's walking breathe they need a they need modern day slavery you know what i'm saying they need a piece of property that is a human person that they can do whatever they want to okay so yeah I love the movie and Ken is such a great character and Ryan Gosling, who's already my favorite actor. And I'm on record as saying this. I love his work. I love his role selection. He's so great. And he nails it every time and he nails it in this one. He gave such an amazing performance, but they make him be the villain, right? Because he goes back to Barbie land and makes patriarchy patriarchy, you know, so that he can be in charge and, uh, you know, know what it's like. And at the end of the day, it's just a little underwhelming because the Barbies get back in power and Barbie's so proud of herself for saving Barbie land, but she wants more, right? And her payoff is going to be, um, she becomes a person, which is like, it's a cool journey for her, right? She's like, no, I want more than this. I want to be a person, you know, I don't want to live in the perfect world. I want to live in the imperfect world and know what it's, you know, and experience emotion and, and live on a, another area. So, which is, which is a cool journey for her. But Ken's journey is, I'm me. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's such, for how much they packed in and they made him the villain and the, he took over the whole of Barbie land and became the figurehead for this movement. He's like, you know, what if like Fidel Castro at the end of the day was like, anyway, thanks for taking over Cuba. We're going to take it back. You can go do whatever you want now, you know? And it's like, wait, but he did the revolution. He needs, you know what I'm saying? Anyway, the end of the day, after all these complicated emotions and feelings that he has and, you know, his payoff is, oh, I'm Ken, you know, it's not Barbie and Ken, it is Ken and I'm Ken and that's okay, you know, which is, it's okay. But, you know, for how much they put into it and, and everything, it just felt, you know, it's hard. It's hard out here to be, you know, anywhere else he'd be a 10, you know, but instead he's just Ken. <sighs> anyway. The movie is delightful. It is wonderful. It is so fun. It is so funny. And uh, they nailed it. They did a great job with it. They just tied themselves in a little bit. You know, they got too heady, but they didn't nail the landing quite enough. But the emotion was there. And I, you know, I watched it twice and I'll, you know, I'll probably see it a third time, you know. All right, Cody, I got to cut you off mid sentence there, you know, just, uh, you know. Is right in the middle of your uh, your speech there, but um, yeah. Here's the thing, Cody. I didn't cover this thing, but 
there's a whole mm. thing, right? Like they do the political stuff, right? But then there's mm-hmm. the whole thing where like, so Ken is, they really, they don't make it clear, but it is clear, I think, towards the end of the movie uh, that Ken is Barbie's boyfriend. Like they mm-hmm. are a thing. Okay. They're supposed to yeah. be BF slash GF. Okay. Right. Right. Yeah. Barbie and Ken. They're a package mm-hmm. deal. They're mm-hmm. together forever, right? Barbie is, I would say, the worst partner you could ever have in a the relationship. Worst. Yeah. Yep. With Ken being probably like one of the, you know, somebody who, uh, you know, like your friends would be like, they're just so needy. But in reality, it's like, I just want you to notice me once every. <laughs> four to six months, you know, uh-huh. would be all I'd really need, you know? So probably like the best low maintenance uh, person you would have in a relationship, but because mm-hmm. you are so unwilling to do the low maintenance. Yeah. Like, oh, they're so high maintenance is, well, yeah. If you got a Dakota, your car, if you just never change the oil on it suddenly mm-hmm. goes from one of the most stereotypically low maintenance cars to probably suddenly a very high maintenance car if you mm-hmm. just stopped doing any of the maintenance on it. Yeah. Uh, but then what I hate about it was he gets his one moment of like, see, it doesn't feel good, right? When he's like, this mm-hmm. is my mojo dojo casa house. Right. And then at the end, she's like, well, maybe you shouldn't be basing yourself on your relationship. And it's like, Barbie, maybe you should have just broken up with him. Maybe you should have just said, hey, I'm not interested in you. Maybe yeah. you should move on. Maybe you should have said that 40 years ago instead of stringing mm-hmm. this poor man along this whole time. And then I was like, "That's this should not be the thing that you take away from this as the yeah. story is that, oh, I'm enough. It's like, no, Ken, you deserve at least an explanation here and deserve mm-hmm. something. You deserve a place to lay your head. It may not be in Barbie's place. But you deserve at least a cot. Cody, he doesn't even have a job. His job is beach. <laughs> yeah. This oh, man, man is doing the best he can with the dirt that he is given. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And everybody's like, see, he's the bad guy. I, You know, I'm like the people that saw Killmonger. Because you've seen the people say that this is just the same movie as Black Panther, right? Mm-hmm. Uh. I haven't, but yes, I get it. Say Killmonger is not the bad guy, and I'll say that Killmonger is not necessarily a bad guy. He's just somebody that's experienced that hasn't lived with all the privilege that the people who say that he's the bad guy have. Yeah, right. He's just seeing an, a corrupt in a, a system riddled with inequality and wants to correct that, and maybe he goes a little too far in correcting it. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he's evil. He's just doing something that no one else will do. Also, mm-hmm. Simu Liu is so hot in this movie. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. But, you know, he's just a piece of meat, you know, that you can throw around and leave behind. Oh, man. What a... Those poor Kens, you know? Let's talk about this. This movie begins with a 2001 a space odyssey reference and not like a little one it's like they recreate the whole sequence 
I don't think anyone got it. I was in awe. I was like, this is how they're started. This is amazing. What a great way to start the movie. So Tiffany, when that trailer came out, that was just that opening sequence, which was Mm -hmm. fantastic. Um, Yeah. She showed me a video. She's like, oh, look, there's this movie that's like, I think she thought she was like, oh, look, this other movie copied them. And I was like, no, that's 2001. Mm-hmm. And this is Barbie that's not come out yet at the time. And so mm-hmm. I got to introduce her to 2001, A Space Odyssey. Um, but yeah, also it was a movie a little bit too heady for its own good. You know, there you go. We should have known from the start a movie that the last 30 minutes is like, <laughs> good luck. You know, it's just like, all right, no one's going to say anything. You're going to watch this and I hope you get it. I showed her the, the uh, spoilers for 2001, A Space Odyssey. Mm-hmm. I showed her the death scene of Hal. Mm. I sat there having kind of seen it before and thinking this is taking forever. Mm. And it's a very boring and weird scene. It brought her to tears. You know, mm. like especially when he's like, Why don't you sing me a song, Hal? You know, and then he starts singing the song that like they taught him to sing when they were first building the, the AI and everything. Mm. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. Like, for me, someone who's seen it, I was like, this sucks. And for, for her, for someone who hasn't seen it, she was like, this is mind-blowingly amazing. And I was like, mm. that's cool. That's pretty cool Stand that it, I can still have that effect. Kubrick knows uh, knows a thing or two about a thing or two. Let's let look. We did it. We said the things we didn't like about the broad structure of the movie. But can we talk about how many great things there were in this movie? Number oh, one. Yeah. I mean, I, I talked about the costumes and production design. It has to be nominated for those. It was just too good. Here's the thing. Music, they absolutely nailed the music, and they brought out the big guns. We got songs from Lizza. We got songs from Dua Lipa. We got songs from Nicki Minaj and the other one. They, Cody, uh, we can't like Lizzo anymore. All right, so shush. But here's the thing. Anymore. What if I agree with all her opinions? Okay, so... I don't know what um, her opinions are, so I'm just going to see. No, here's there. what happened to Lizzo. She went out. She thought she was at a bachelorette party when actually she was the boss at a company retreat. And, and you know, when you treat when you treat your employees like uh, people at your bachelorette party, you're gonna, you know, might run into a problem or two. So, mm, yeah. music so much fun. I thought they really nailed it. Um, you know, it just is great. Great tone setter. And I mean, the Matchbox 20 pulled out of the hat, resurrected. You know, that's a 20-year-old deep cut we're bringing back. Pretty fun. Pretty fun way to use that song. Oh, my gosh. What does he was Ken say? Like, do you want me to play my guitar at you? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I mean, you know, for as much as injustice they did to the Ken, it was so fun to see all, like, the douche tropes played out and you know with uh when the kens had taken over and you know it was it was just just a great sense of humor throughout the whole movie and you know just seeing all the all these grown-ups act like kids playing with barbies and kens was just it was just a blast even like will ferrell as like the ceo of the company you know go he's i like, mean his line was like call me mother and she's like i don't want to do that <laughs> so one of one of the biggest laughs Bailey had was when they're they're chasing Barbie through the corporate headquarters. 
and they get in the elevator. He's like, don't press that button. <laughs> I want to press it. <laughs> you know, she just, <laughs> she lost, you know, so many little things through the movie that were just, just a delight, you know? And I mean, I loved Ken and Barbie's energy because Barbie is very much like the older sister or like aunt, you know, whatever. That's like babysitting and, you know, Ken's like, I'm going to go see if I can find some books on horses. She's like, well, don't go too far. He's like, I won't, you know, it just... <laughs> Ryan Gosling, the versatility of that man, you know what I'm saying? He just, he amazes me every time. And, uh, oh, I saw some things that people were like, here's all the people that turned down the role for Ken. And then I also saw Greta Gerwig in an interview say, it was Ryan. It was always Ryan. We wanted Ryan from the start. And uh, Ryan Gosling talks about when he was considering the role, he got the script and he was reading through it and he saw his daughter had a Ken doll in the backyard face down in the mud (laughs) and he took a picture of it. He sent it to Greta Gerwig and said, I shall be your Ken. This man's story must be told. (laughs) And I was like, okay, yeah. Oh, what a hero, you know? Well, here's the thing. Okay. So like, this is going to be the new, like I was chief, whatever officer of circuit. This is going to be the new circuit city hustle for actors. Right. Mm. Because, Almost every role is Barbie or Ken. So any actor can now say, yeah, no, I turned down the role of Ken or yeah, no, I turned Mm. down the role of Barbie. Yeah. And most of them would probably be correct. Like, yeah, no, I turned down the role. It's like, oh yeah, I was going to be Barbie 947. Mm -hmm. You still turned down the role of Barbie. Right. You can put that on your resume. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very funny. Right. Because like, who is Ken? Uh, Ryan Gosling, or who, which Ken are you talking about? Ryan Gosling, Simu Liu, Ben Kingsley, uh, who's credited as, oh, sorry, Kingsley Ben <laughs> Ben Kingsley. It refers to the name. Oh, man. I think I was Googling. I was like, where's Ben Kingsley? The thing. No, it's a different, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> it was like the guy who was like his sidekick, right? Who's following him around, yeah. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott Evans, John Cena, you know? John Which Cena. Oh. Talking about? John's I've seen so many like little clips of interviews about this that make you know from the press junkets and stuff from this, but the John Cena thing, um so he knows Margot Robbie from Suicide Squad. Right. And they were in London and um I think Margot Robbie had oh John Cena saw her, told the waiter to pay for their bill, and so when they got the bill, they were like Hey, John Cena's taking care of it. She's like, where's John Cena? You know, whatever. So she connects with him and is like, Hey, you're in London right now. Would you want to be in the Barbie movie? And he's like, absolutely. So he was like a chance encounter that they got him for a day and they did the mermaid Ken stuff, which is so fun. And then I saw with, uh, Michael Sarah for Alan. Yeah. His agents had like basically auto rejected it. They were like, Oh well, yeah, you had said you wouldn't want to do anything overseas. You don't want to travel. And he was like, it's for the Barbie movie. You know, he was like, hold on, hold on. And he like stole Greta Gerwig's email from someone and was like, Hey, I heard you have the part, you know? And anyway, so he was basically, she's like, Hey, I'm going to be on zoom in an hour, whatever. So hop in it. And it was like, you know, they were talking about movie stuff and he was just like hanging out in the background. And anyway, finally connected with her and he like flew out there and he was kind of like a sort of a last minute addition, but he got in there as well. Alan was like, as much as I loved, Margot Robbie was great. Ryan Gosling was great. Simon Liu was great. Everybody was really, really good. But Alan was like my favorite little like Easter egg nugget where it's like this dude is in, you know, he's got four little reaction shots and then he's in two scenes and he's just so good in all of it. And here's why I think I mentioned he's the heart and soul of this movie. Let me tell you why. 
you think Ken is feels like a secondhand, you know, product. Alan's even worse, right? Because if Barbie's the main thing and then there's just Ken, then there's also attached to just Ken is just Alan. <laughs> you know, so he's like the loneliest dude. He's just one of him. He's the only one there. But he, look, he's Ken's buddy. And I, it broke my heart to watch him see Ken struggle. You know, like even at the very start, Alan's there. And then I'm like, he's the only one. He's like, yeah, I'm kind of confused about that. You know, and you're like, oh, poor Alan. And then the Kens are doing the cheering for the volleyball, right? Because it's Barbie land. And they're out cheering. And he's like, great cheer, Ken. You know, and he's like, oh, he is Ken's buddy. Like, he's just there. He wants, he loves, he loves his buddy. He wants to support him. And, uh, you know, so just, and even at the very end, when he sees Ken in anguish, you know, and then it just cuts to Alan and he has like a little tear running down his face. I was like, oh, Alan, <laughs> no, you're breaking my heart. Loved him. He was great. My favorite thing was they were like, what? You can't get out into the world. They said that that's a door. He's like, nobody cares if a Ken gets out. It happens all the time. Mm-hmm. He's like every member of NSYNC. <laughs> like, they're all Allens. Yeah. Oh, it's great. like every boy band that's ever existed uh, is just Alan. Oh, so man. It's so funny. Oh, yeah so loved alan he was great kate mckinnon loved, was fantastic as weird barbie and the I whole the it's one of those things that like the concept for weird barbie was so perfect you know where it's just like yeah you know everyone's got that barbie and then she's always in the splits it was like i everyone has seen that you know everyone's had a sister or a cousin or whatever you know has seen that barbie laying around somewhere yeah yeah like you said like before she goes like why is she always doing the splits? And then she's introduced <laughs> just doing the splits. I saw an interview oh, with her. And doing that was a Blade Runner reference. Did you clock that? Have Which you seen one? the original Blade Runner? Uh, so no, she's no, doing the splits. Then she does like a weird backwards tumble. Her hair is kind of like one of the, one of the androids from Blade Runner. Anyway, I was like, wait, this is like a sly Blade Runner reference. Her like slinking around doing her flips on the floor. I was like, this is from Blade Runner. And it blew my mind. Space this Odyssey, so good. Blade Runner. It it runs deep on like film person, you know, the whole Godfather thing. It goes hard on film references, which I really appreciated. Yeah. I uh I really I saw in like a press junket that she was doing. She's like, no, I did not learn. I could not do this splits that often. There was it was a fake leg. And her leg went like through the set. So she's like, it was still like, I still had to contort quite a bit, but I could mm. not do a perfect split like that. I can't put my foot behind my head. And uh-huh. it was very funny. People kept asking her that. She's like, no, no, it's a fake leg. And it was just really funny. Like, so every time you see her doing the splits, there's just a hole somewhere like underneath or next <laughs> to her that her real leg is just sticking oh my through the set. But like all of her like things and like when she's got her map and she's like, thanks, I made it. Or they, like they asked, do you have a map? And she's like, do I have a map? <laughs> of course. Oh. Like she just is crazy. And like the fact that she's got that like the giant house up on a hill, it uh, like adds so much to like her just being like the crazy rich person that they mm-hmm. always go to in like adventure movies that helps them out. Oh, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, whoever... Whoever was in the prop department for this movie, they were not paid enough. Because even like when she's like, all right, 
here's the high heel and the Birkenstock. You can choose to stay here in Barbie land or you can choose to know the truth. I mean, just a fantastic, and it's just a little throwaway joke. They didn't have to do it, you know, but they did it. And you hear the mom, that was another one, the moms giggle at this out the Birkenstock and they were like, this is fantastic. I was like, I'm so glad. Yeah, I don't know. I just think, and even the, the little Barbie ambulance on the beach when Ken needs the ambulance, it opens up. And I mean, just, just amazing sets, amazing props. I'm so glad they gave this movie to Greta Gerwig and it's going to be, here's the nightmare. There's going to be so many awful copycats of this movie in the next, over oh. the next three to five years. It's going to be so bad. JJ well, Abrams mean, doing a Hot Wheels one. And, yeah. you know, I just, Every it's Marvel such a tricky be like thing because, because it's a, uh, it's a fantastic indie director and indie writers getting handed this massive project that had the right stars and producers behind it, a big enough budget. And it made so much money, but I, you know, it wasn't made for kids. And normally you have a movie that makes over a billion dollars and it's somewhat family friendly or it's an Avengers, it's a James Cameron thing. This is very much a movie that some people thought it was for kids, but it wasn't. And it was heady and a little bit messy, but overall like very well executed. So much fun. I don't know who's going to make another one of these that has that same heart and the right spirit behind it. And what are you going to do it for? So I just, I'm nervous about what it means for uh, the future of Hollywood movies because it was such, for me, it's such like a lightning in a bottle thing. And the lesson to take from it is, hey, we need to give more of these projects to interesting directors and female directors. And I just don't know if it's going to, you know, I think the suits are going to bungle what was great about this movie and fail to replicate it, you know? Yeah. I think, I mean, at the very least you're going to see the, the, like the style and like the comedic elements of this movie reflected in like every big budget movie going forward, which is going to be really annoying. Mm -hmm. Cause I mean like it, I feel like they were kind of starting to come back to normal after that happened with, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy being so mm. colorful and funny. And it was like, every, now they're like, hold on. Everything needs to be colorful and funny now. Mm. Like, we're making a movie about 14 people with depression who are stuck in a room and told to murder each other. Colorful and funny. Mm -hmm. Get me some funny actor to put in there. Get me Jonah Hill where he's going to be one of them. Make him make jokes about it. Right. Like, uh -huh. and then I felt like they were just barely starting to be like, all right, maybe we don't need to do that. Maybe we can refocus a little bit. And now this comes out and it's like, well, here we go again. <laughs> Everything's going to be like colorful and funny. Reshoot the Batman too. <laughs> <laughs> we need to have Robert Pattinson making jokes. All right. Yeah. And uh, so that's a little annoying, but that's not necessarily the fault of the movie. That's just like you said, that's, uh, that's not the movie's fault. The movie captured it's just an amazing whole thing you know yeah but you know what's gonna be dark and gritty and realistic what's that hot wheels hot probably. wheels you know Gotta like ground the one that. movie that yeah should be this should be colorful and funny and fun is gonna be like no no people are gonna get dismembered in the first five minutes and it's like <sighs> man, stop yeah when, here's the question when are people gonna admit that jj abrams is not 
Steven Spielberg, and he should just stop being trusted the same. That he's not as good as any of the other big directors. I don't know, dude. What do you do with J.J. Abrams? He's made some good movies. Has he made any fantastic movies? What do we What do we trust J.J. with these days, you know? Here's what J.J. Abrams is really good at. He is very good at taking a thing, a property, that uh-huh. has been very bad for a very long time, and making a half-decent reboot. Which is uh-huh. a good jumping off point for better people. And then you hand it off to better better directors, mm. better writers. But I think he is very good at taking something like Star Trek that had been just languishing in like not so goodness. Saying, yeah. what if we made a better version? Uh, or taking Star Wars and saying, what if we just completely almost shot for shot remade the original movie? You know, like mm-hmm. that's what he's good at. And then you take it away from him as fast as you can get his grubby little mitts off of that thing. All right. Mm-hmm. The problem is people then keep giving it to him. Or then they're like, we'll give it to him. And then he punks out faster than Guillermo del Toro. All right. Yeah. I mean, it's like Peter Jackson, right? Where people are like, Peter Jackson, he's the best. He can do the fantasy stuff. Peter Jackson spent like 30 years or something crazy writing Lord of the Rings and imagining yeah. it and rewriting it a hundred times. And then they're like, what if we gave you this nightmare that Guillermo del Toro abandoned because he didn't probably didn't want his name attached to it? Mm-hmm. Can you fix it? No, you can't. He can't do it. So that's the thing, you know, but Greta Gerwig here. I mean, it'd be like taking Greta Gerwig and being like, you're going to make the Fantastic Four movie, which uh. I think would it be good? Maybe. But I doubt it would be as good as if you like went to some like James Cameron, who's like, hey, James, you can make a mass appeal pop superhero movie. Yeah. Make Fantastic Four. Right. Yeah. So I feel like that's the problem is they're like, you're a good director. Make everything when it's like mm. there's like two directors that can make anything, and the rest of them seem to be like really good at one genre. Yeah. Right? Of course, I don't know all the genres Greta Gerwig's done, but she is like you said, she's like indie well stuff. Right? She's done a lot of indie movies and a lot of stuff she's starred in. You know, cause she's an actress as well, and she's a writer and she's a director. But her last few movies have been Lady Bird, which is big at the Oscars, Saoirse Ronan. Timothy, Timothy Chalamet, the other guy. And then she did Little Women, an adaptation of the classic book with, you know, Saoirse Ronan and Francis Pugh and Emma Watson. And then this. So she's been on a bit of a hot streak, but, you know, she's done those kind of like female focused movies and they've been really good. Um, her last couple have been more like bigger budget, but before that they were like really pretty small kind of projects that she helmed yeah i haven't seen all of them but i've seen a couple of them they're pretty good she's good um yeah i mean her next project is gonna be chronicles of narnia for netflix which will be really interesting but i mean the scope you know to go from lady bird to little women was a little bit of a jump up and then to go from little women to this was like huge i mean it's a way bigger it's a huge production and great vision that she came through on so I don't know. I'm curious to see if she's going to be one of those kind of people that you can kind of trust with whatever project, but Chronicles of Narnia would be a big, 
big tell if she can do it or not. But you know, she's written her own stuff. She's adapted things now. She's um, also uh, credited on the script as like one of the two script writers for her, Snow White. Oh, really? The Disney one? The remake? Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's going to be fun. So I don't know if maybe she just did some, because there's the... the <laughs> who's I think who's Snow who's White? Is it Rachel? What's her name? Ziegler. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that man. So the like- whole little people disaster... And then the people, I mean, look, I'm not going to say it's not weird. They made Snow White Latina. It's a little weird. It's not, I'm not going to say that it's like, you know, if someone does a good job on it, I don't necessarily care who they do on it, but people are mad. There are some people who are really mad about them casting Snow White as a person of color, which is like, I get it, you know? Which, I mean, I understand, like, but it is funny in this age, right, where it's like, all right, the princess is that it's like doesn't specify then who cares, right? I mean, like Little Mermaid <laughs> was was uh, was she is she black and her dad was what's Javier? Is he Spanish or Mexican? I'm not sure. I always South forget. American. Um, um. So I mean, like that doesn't make sense. So that's fine, right? But I mean, pff, mom's dead, so you don't know. All right. You know, as long as you kill the parents, you can He's make any from character Spain. any race. He's from Spain. Right. Okay. That's fair. Um, but it is funny to be like, you yeah, know, we can't, you got to cast like no Lion King, you cast not. all the black cast and then Snow White is like, all right, not a white person. And it's like, all right. I get where you're going here. But, but you heard. I mean, okay, if we're going to be real, it should have been, they should have cast an albino. You know what I'm saying? If you're not going to cast an albino as Snow White, then you're, you're missed a big opportunity. Have you seen that movie Mirror Mirror? Tiffany loves that movie. No. So it's, you know, it, it's, I can't remember the name of the actress, but it's, you know, it's like Army Hammer plays the prince and it's like mm-hmm. a whole retelling. It is like a, Oh, she, it's a empowering, you know, she's not just sitting around waiting. She robs the prince and stuff at one point, you know, like most Snow White adaptations that have come out in the last 20 years. It is yeah. not a remake. Um, and uh, Oh, she got a swan on her head. All right. Lily Collins. Yeah. Like she looks, I think, like Snow White in real life. Right. But I mean, that was also yeah. the movie was made 10 years ago. So she's a lot older now. I mean, like Lily Collins can do anything. All right. She's still Emily in Paris. Yeah. You seen Emily in Paris? She got all the fits. No, I haven't seen. Anyway, carry on. She can't beat Barbie, though, apparently. Nah. But so, I mean, I don't care about casting people of the wrong race and stuff. Here's what I care about. You've heard my theory. I think they're doing all these kinds of castings and these weird rewrites because they're like, they don't think it'll hurt the movie. And mm-hmm. if it does, then they can just say like, Hey, like I think there's two off. There's two possibilities, right? Either it is them trying to use it as an excuse to their stockholders of, Hey, this didn't do well because people are racist. Mm-hmm. That's why. Or mm-hmm. we all, we both know Hollywood <laughs> is a nightmare hellscape of old white men doing awful things to people. Uh-huh. All right. All of these people have had one of probably some of the most traumatic things ever happen to them. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, I think this is just them trying to be like, see, look, we can't make progressive movies anymore because they don't do mm. well. And Disney, when they just release it out onto their Disney Plus, can be like, this movie lost us $800 trillion. <laughs> the movie we never time- released in theaters. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The movie I, you never I made any box it. office revenue off of because you chose not to put it at the box office. Gosh, I see so many videos of these. It's like the DC stuff where they're like, we just won't release this. You're like, you spent $200 million on it, right? And they're like, yeah, but, it, you know, it's going to be worse for us. And you're like, how? <laughs> yeah. Well, like if you like all these guys, all these scumbags on like a TikTok or YouTube, right? Or like, this is why the streaming services have are failures. Disney lost four hundred billion dollars on Disney Plus. P, uh, whatever it was like, Warner Discovery lost eight hundred billion dollars on HBO Max. They all these. It's like no, they didn't. I could tell you, Cody. Here we go. You have an account mm. e- economics background. I came yeah. from accounting originally, right? Let's sit here, right? We are both two dudes. We know both sides of the money. Mm. Cody, Mm. if a company the size of Disney, which is Mm. not a trillion-dollar company, lost Mm. half a trillion dollars on a service, would they continue offering that service? No. Now, would they ascribe losses across their company, or or could they, would they, if they could, ascribe every single expense and loss and stockholder and stock buyback and bonus and dividend payout that they could to the operating costs of that service to make it look like it's losing tons of money uh-huh. to get a tax write off on it. Yeah. 100%. Yes, they would. It's like the people who always would say Amazon loses money every year. It's only kept afloat by venture capitalists. I am here to tell you, none of these companies are only kept afloat by venture capitalists. Uh If you make a billion dollars a year in profit, and then you give all your people even a tiny raise, and then you open a new facility, or you start a new service, or you make a Uh new movie, if you reinvest $1.5 billion into the company... You have lost money that year. That's what that shows up as. People do not understand this, Cody. Here's the thing. Uh, Cody, you make uh, a billion. If yeah. you reinvest one and a half billion, because you got a half a billion from venture capitalists, those venture capitalists are not keeping you in business. You had a billion dollars in profit. They reinvested into they invested into your company so that you could have one and a half billion to expand the company. But if you stopped expanding, you would have a billion dollars in profit. I don't understand how people think that you can operate a company the size of Amazon or Uber or Google and not make money. <laughs> because it's not that you don't make money, it's just that Amazon opens a hundred facilities a year. You just you just don't claim a profit and you put all that back into the company. Yeah. My company makes almost no profit. Why? Because we give it out as bonuses to the people because we're an employee-owned company. So it makes very little profit. But guess what? We make a ton of profit. But then it's just given to the shareholders, which is the employees of the company. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing. But our company says on our tax forms, guess what? Because we gave it all to the employees. We made almost no profit. That's how it works, Cody. Drives me I mean- nuts. Let me tell you another problem with it. And I think you're totally, all your points are valid. I think the, you know, a little bigger picture issue with it is that Hollywood is, and especially the big companies like Warner and 
Disney. They are a bunch of suits, businessmen, old white businessmen in suits telling artists how to make art because they want to make money off of the art, you know? So you have a businessman who's like, well, just make your movie in these parameters, X, Y, and Z. So it's profitable because that's the formula we have in our brain. And then the artist is like, right, but that would make crappy art, which is bad for business. And the businessmen are like, not really. As long as it follows X, Y, and Z, if it's based on IP, if it's rated PG or BG 13, and if it's got this in it, it's bright, colorful, and funny. That's what the algorithm says is going to make it profitable. And that's all we care about, you know? So like, this is a rare example of this movie given to an indie director, indie writers that are proven that have done great movies. It's a great cast, but here's the secret sauce of this movie. Margot Robbie is the producer. (laughs) The producer is not some random person trying to make a buck. This is a passion project of Margot Robbie who gave it to a great director, you know, and, and you're seeing a little more of it. Like Brad Pitt's a big producer these days, right? So sometimes you see a movie, you're like, Oh, Brad Pitt's the executive producer. He's not in it. But he gave it to someone, you know, who knows what they're doing. And it usually turns out decent, you know. Margot Robbie promised this movie would make a billion dollars. I don't know where she got the cojones to promise that. <laughs> I don't know where or how. She's one of the you know best working actresses these days. She's super in demand. So, I mean, to get her as the lead actress was a good idea. Anyway, it worked out great for them. I don't know how they'll do it again, but, you know, Margot Robbie hands this movie to Greta Gerwig. She's the producer. She's passionate about it. It went great, and I'm so glad it did. But when someone who isn't Margot Robbie has to pick a director, you know who they're going to pick? J.J. Abrams. And <laughs> They're not going to have, you know, is JJ, does J.J. Abrams have a Barbie movie in him? You know what I'm saying? Like, like you said, he can adapt an IP, and it'll be all right. It'll be a good starting point, you know. So who's the next indie director you're going to throw out? The, you know, is it's not going to be the right producer. You're probably going to grab the wrong director. The writing team's not going to be as strong. You're going to end up with something that is going to make you $200 million and you'll call it a day. But it's not going to make, you know. My point is great art at the end of the day is going to make you better money. The other thing is this is a unicorn of a movie because the other lesson people are going to take from this is we got to market it like we marketed Barbenheimer, you know, and there's the problem with that is that, look, maybe it was a guerrilla marketing thing that someone came up with. It seems to me to be an entirely organic thing that people were like, hold up. These movies are coming out on the same day. That is hilarious. Let's go see both. And here's the thing about it. Movies are always competing for release dates and it's a whole mess and movies move dates all the time. I don't know what stars had to align to put these movies next to each other, but I will tell you this. Both Barbie and Oppenheimer are in my top 10 for movies this year so far. They are both A movies for me. I liked one better than the other, but they're both great movies from more or less well-known directors that did a great job, had a good vision, passion projects, and they released on the same day. It destroyed Tom Cruise's much anticipated movie you know like tom cruise had an imax movie come out seven days before (laughs) oppenheimer did and oppenheimer got this crazy bump because of barbenheimer it's an r-rated movie that made a ton of money way more money than i well maybe not more money but you know like it totally cannibalized 
Tom Cruise's Mission Impossible earnings, which is like, that was a good movie too. Like no shade to Tom Cruise. It's a good movie. Anyway, so my point is, is anyone going to get behind a Barbenheimer double feature thing like this where it's like, oh, it's got all the support and free marketing, free publicity just from social media and memes. And they're two great movies, great directors, great casts. And it, you know, I don't know. It was such a miracle that it happened. And are they going to try to replicate it with grill marketing and it's going to be a disaster? And because it's not organic, it's not going to do anything. You can't control how good your movie is going to do. You can try to help it, right? Like these movies were marketed pretty well on their own. But I mean, the internet culture just devoured these movies. Everyone wore pink and they went to see Barbie. And a lot of people that wouldn't have seen Oppenheimer saw Oppenheimer because of it. And it had a great opening weekend. And, you know, anyway, so what are you, you going to do? I did check. Oppenheimer has made less than Barbie. Well, yeah, they (laughs) had the same budget. Did you know that? Really? Well, it's no. Here's the thing. It's an R-rated movie. So that's a non-starter. You know, unless you're the the Matrix, you're not going to make more anyway. But you know what I'm saying? Like, this is Chris Nolan's first R-rated movie in like, what, 15 years, 16 years? Like you said, you know, Barbie, you you know, like you said, it's over a billion dollars now. It's like 1.2 is what it says. Right. Right. On a hundred million dollar budget, yeah, insane. So, Oppenheimer's on the same budget, and it's—I mean, it's like, well, it's made so much less. It's still made seven hundred million dollars so far for an R-rated movie to make over like three hundred million is like insane. It's fantastic. That is great performance for a Not movie. To mention, you know what I'm do saying? You re- do you remember me telling you about like how there was an interview with the? I think it was like the CEO or the president or something of the. I don't know if it's like a company or an association, but like IMAX, the people who like actually make the equipment. Yeah. IMAX. And he said they've gotten so many orders that they're just like out. They have they've had to buy more production capacity at their mm. suppliers to build more 70 millimeter production. Yeah. Uh, 70 millimeter recording equipment. And uh, it's like just crazy because stuff. Christopher Nolan's been championing this since the Dark Knight, you know, and he's. <laughs> I don't know. This is his dream is for like people to get on board the 70 millimeter train. And there's a chance this might actually push it to make it happen. I don't think it'll become standard, but there's a chance that it actually is going to give it a nudge, you know, like he, they've gotten hundreds and hundreds of orders. He said for, from all across the country, like all across the world, like all these theaters wanting to add a 70 millimeter. But that's the other thing. Who's the other champion that's going to say, well, I'm going to shoot stuff in 70 millimeter. Well, I think that's you know what the I'm thing saying. That if I think back to what he was saying, right. Cause I just thought when I read that thing, he said, right. I thought, oh, well they make the projectors, but then as we're sitting, you're talking about realism, well, they also make the cameras mm-hmm. and he was saying like, they're out of everything and they're mm-hmm. having to make more and buy more product. So that's not it's not just the projectors that people are buying. It's also like people are buying the cameras and they're having to build more cameras. So I yeah. think that like every that's why I think this is going to become uh one of those things where I think for a lot of them it's just going to be they're just going to do it as part of the fad, right? But then there's going to be a lot of movies that are going to start taking advantage of it just like um hopefully it takes off better than, you know, it kind of like how so many movies tried to take advantage of when they tried to make, what was it? Um, was it 
50 or 60 frames per second they tried to do for a hot oh. second. And everybody yeah. was like, absolutely not. <laughs> so they pulled yeah. back on that. But I'm hoping that I think this is going to be similar levels of adoption. But instead of people being like, you can go F yourself with that. Yeah. I think the people are going to love this. Also, I don't know if you noticed this because you live, mm. you know, you're in Kansas City, right? So you see mm. much nicer theaters than I encounter here in Boston. Mm. I would say on average because everything is run down and decrepit in Boston. But when we went to the theater to see Barbie, mm. I walked in and I was just like, oh my gosh. Like you could tell how much more money that the theater had been making. Dude, based on yeah, how many I went, I told you, I went Friday. I did Barbenheimer. So I saw Oppenheimer at like 11 a.m. in IMAX. And then I went to see Barbie at like 7 or 8 p.m. And it was like, I wasn't, it was one of their, so I saw IMAX, which was in the morning. I'm trying to think. It was full. And then I went to see Barbie in the evening and it was, it's on IMAX theater, but it doesn't have, didn't have the recliners, but it was like their biggest theater that doesn't have the recliners. It was, I mean, tons of people in there. It wasn't quite fully packed, but it was close. And I mean, you think about how many seats are in that theater that don't have the recliners. When you can fill that 70%, you're making a ton of money. You know, I mean, it was, the theater was bumping. There were a ton of people there. I mean, it was, and I've been seeing movies all summer, right? I saw yeah. Mission Impossible. I saw... I've seen everything, Indiana Jones, Spider-Man. I've seen all the big releases this summer. Nothing compared to that Friday. It was popping. Yeah, I mean, we went to go see it on a Tuesday night. We went to go see Mm -hmm. Barbie. We went to go see the second to last showing. So it started at like 9.30 at night. Mm -hmm. It was sold out. Sold out. And that's how every, like, I haven't gone to go see Oppenheimer yet because you have to buy your tickets a week in advance. Yeah, that's wild. In order to get a kind of good seat. Otherwise, well, you're in the I was room. looking at going in 70 millimeter and 10 to 14 days out, the theater was half full already. I'm like, well, this is a morning talking. show. It's a morning show on a Monday and it's you're half full. You talk yeah. such a, so much smack about how you, you're like, oh, I might beat you that 70 millimeter. I was like, you better buy the tickets now, dog. Yeah. Girl. You're not getting in. People yeah. want to see that movie in the 70 millimeter and like. Yeah, especially when in I think so. That's the crazy that even in the tiny theaters in like the rundown theater that we normally go to it Oppenheimer and Barbie, both of them, pretty much any movie like it's still sold out for most of the showings. But like even like we walked into ours and they've got like all new drink machines and like you could tell that the cleaning had been done a lot better. Like they were able they probably had more staff because they're probably able to pay better. They had this like corner that used to just have a bunch of tables in it and they would have like some of those like cardboard you know like things for movies right Uh and it just wasn't used but now they've installed like there's like a whole arcade there in the corner with like a card machine you go and reload a card and they've got like Uh the super like the one of the real popular like halo games and like a bunch of racing games and a bunch of claw machines and stuff and you could tell like oh and they i could even tell like it looks like they've replaced like all the like benches in the hallways and the trash cans and everything. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh my gosh, they've spent a ton of money just making everything look nicer. Yeah. In here. And I thought I was the, like, oh, the MC I go to, I just noticed this the other day. They've always had like some machines and it's like there's an old Terminator shooting game and there's old claw machines. There's a fast and furious racing machine, like racing game 
not Fast 10, not Fast 5, the original The Fast and the Furious racing game. I was like, hold up, this is like a 20-year-old <laughs> racing game at this point. Still cruising, coin-operated. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the good stuff. That's what you want. I mean, as I say, those machines, they uh, last, they're built to last, and they keep making money. But yeah. I was like, I was kind of taken aback because this theater was kind of To see like, like a theater out. being invested in? Yeah. Yeah, which is like, I can see why, because like I said, the every COVID time we go. The slump hit so many theaters so hard, and they've been struggling, yeah. and then Barbenheimer happens, and you see, like, and there were a lot of great movies released this summer, but it was just different. It was different yeah. that weekend, like, everybody, and part of it, I think, is because so many of the big releases are like, oh, Indiana Jones 5, Mission Impossible 7, Spider-Man 12, you know, it's all these superhero movies, action movies, and things that, like, dudes like. And then all of a sudden, someone throws out this female-driven movie that is just so colorful and fun, and everyone latched onto it, and it was like whole different energy. It was really cool yeah. to see. It was, I mean, I the for three weeks after every time I went to the theater, which is all the time because I don't have a job. Um, you just see people wearing pink. You see couples wearing pink, and groups of women going in to see the movie. It's just cool. It's super cool. Yeah, I'm. I'm happy to see like. Hopefully, you know, maybe the theaters downtown have running water now and stuff and they're really able to really able to step it up, step up their game because of all this money coming in. I've told you that. You know what? I mean, I'm yeah. putting on blast, so, you know, more than once. Here. I'm going to do it oh, again. Man. It's downtown. Hold on. Let me tell you the exact one. Okay. Because this uh, one theater has not wrote not once, but multiple times been like, Oh, we don't have any water or we don't have any popcorn. And it's like, my guy, <laughs> there's doing? four people. Here. There's, there's one way that you make out. money yeah, <laughs> at like, a movie theater and it's selling popcorn. That's like 80% of your revenue. Yeah. So the Boston Commons 19, Ugh. they're the, they're the biggest offenders. All right. Boston Commons. Boston 19, Commons. Get your act together. Like you gotta stop. The assembly road 12, I think is also a rough time. Like, all of the downtown Boston ones are kind of suck, you know? Yeah. Here's the thing I'll say. I love AMC. It's a good old-fashioned Kansas City-based movie theater. So, like, I'm all up for AMC. But if you're in New England, all right? If you're in New mm -hmm. England, if all the, if our listener is out here in New England, okay? Don't be going to theirs. Don't be going there. You know what I'm saying? Like, here's what you need to do. AMC is really good at building movie theaters, but sometimes they buy old ones and they just let them rot yeah. <laughs> and they don't revamp them and they don't make them look like an AMC or have like the quality of, Hey, the seats are decent. The snacks are, are solid. Like we play the right movies. Sometimes they buy old, they bought an old theater in my hometown, which I was so happy for because it's one of the few theaters you can go to and just see a movie and not have to pick a seat and it's like a crappy recliner and they only fit 12 in the theater. You know, it's like big, digital projection things and it like went out of business and it's like man yeah i don't know it's just a bummer but yeah they'll just buy up old theater sometimes and it doesn't work out now to their credit these are like not they were nice but they're old and they haven't renovated them that's the old, thing nice like, yeah this was back when amc was first expanding everywhere i think they bought these incredibly expensive like in the heart of downtown boston movie yeah. theaters and what's really funny is they're laid out the exact same as the one in downtown Kansas City that used to be the, uh, what was it, the Alamo Draft House? Like, yeah. it almost looks exactly the same. 
but it's just terrible. Um, but the showcase cinemas are like unique to appear in New England, mm. and they are very nice. Like they have poured their money into making a premium movie theater experience. I yeah. recommend those to anybody because those are very nice um, in comparison to some of the other ones. But it is nice to see people going back to the movies. But also, stop telling me thanks for coming to the movies, Tom Cruise. You know, make me, make yeah. it worth coming to the movies and people will come back. Don't be like, don't try to guilt people into going to the movies. What's with them playing that to the people that are already at the movies? It's like, dude... I'm here. You should be playing this on people's smartphones that are out there pirating your movies. What do you, you know, if he wants to do it right, he would be putting a threatening message before the pirated movies. That's like, Hey, I know you didn't pay to watch this and I'm coming for you. And then just throw out a name. And you know, the odds of you saying the right name to the right person are so low, but if you get just one person, you know, then it'll yeah. be more successful than you selling movie theaters to people that are already at the movie theater. Yeah. You know, look, we already Nicole have Kidman. To, yeah, we the, already have the to stupid deal with meme, Kidman. The stupid meme is, and it's so funny that it's Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise. You know, what, what destiny, what fate, you know, forlorn ex-lovers. But um, someone, they posted just the best meme of it. Just someone just looking so confused. Like when Nicole Kidman tells me, you know, tries to convince me to go to the movie theater while I'm watching, you know, trying to watch a movie at the movie theater. It's just, it's amazing. It's great. It's like a horror movie, right? That when she looks at you, it's so terrifying. Uh, you know, like the, on the first time they're cowards, they took out the guy spilling his popcorn, you know, and then they're like, what if we just build a tiny little horror movie with Nicole Kidman in an empty movie theater, which I feel like I sends think, a weird message. I think, right? I think I sent you that meme of the, someone was like, and I forget what city it was, but some dude just stood up. And recited the Nicole Kidman trailer word for word and got a standing ovation from the theater. Like, you know, and then the other SNL did a little parody of it and it was like a horror thing. And it was like the cult of all the people like chanting Nicole Kidman's thing. This is what are we doing here? You know, let's talk about something else real quick here. Okay, so do you remember way back when this first came out? Okay, I called out. That her we make movies better yes. sounded weird, and it's like she it sounded like she had a southern accent for better, and it's like we make movies butter. And I'm like, <laughs> what kind of accent is that? They have re-recorded that line and replaced it. I don't know if you've noticed that, but now it's instead of the we make movies better, it's mm. we make movies better. And I'm like, now you're just doing an American <laughs> accent, and it's like now it's like you I hate it. it way more. I obvious. hate it when Nicole Kidman rolls up and lies to me about where she's from and what her accent is, you know? Ugh. Yeah, no, it's it's a whole thing. So, Tyler, I guess in summation, what do you want to rate this movie, you know? I'm Talk to me about Barbie. I'm giving it an A+, Cody. This movie, it's Stop. John Steelbooks. <laughs> I thought it was great. I thought it, like, missed the mark on some of the, like, stuff. But here's why it gets the A+, Cody. They call out the 12 year olds. All right. She's like, they're like, get her, whatever your name is, forgettable teenage, no, tween age character, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then she's like, she's off, she's crying. She's like, they call, I'm not a fascist. I don't control the railways for the flow of commerce, <laughs> yeah. which is one of the funniest lines of any movie I've ever heard. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, I loved it. Um, 
I'm so stuck in my rating. I can't look, I'm not like you. I'm not a cuck and I can't give it a perfect rating, even though it's flawed, you know, so I have to knock it and I don't know how much to do, but here's what I'll say. I'll give it an A. It's a solid A. It's a fantastic movie. It gets lost in the weeds for like five seconds. And other than that, it's just a delightful ride. And Greta Gerwig, you nailed it. You did a great job. And uh, yeah, it was just so delightful, so fun, and Can I try it'll to never happen you to again. Raise your rating a little bit here before I you already can... raised it from an A minus to an A for you, for your benefit, dude. But let me try to convince you more, okay? All right, go ahead. Because Cody, I understand. Explain this to me. Can explain this to me. I'm gonna, Cody. I want you to know first off that you're Kenuff, okay? <laughs> Thank you. Second off, Cody. Here's the thing. Every problem that we had with this movie. Hmm. had they gone full bore, had they been like, no, no, we're going to make a better system. It would have been too serious. The whole point of the movie is it's a parody of all that stuff. Yeah, no, the whole thing is supposed to be that they, at the end, the Kens are like, oh, so does that mean like we get equal representation? And the Barbies are like, I don't think so. Maybe, maybe we'll give you like a little bit of power. Mm-hmm. And then they, they justify that with like, and then just like in the real world, you'll work your way up like the women. And then we all thought, that's funny because the women don't, they haven't mm-hmm. been working their way up as fast as everyone thinks they should be. Right. Right. And so that's the thing is that the part, the, the like heavy handedness and like the, the, the like, but you did the thing wrong <laughs> is mm. part of the joke of them doing it yeah. wrong. Look, I'm not I'm not just knocking it because they didn't do the Ken's full justice. That's not really my biggest problem with the movie. I think it does so much. It I don't know. They showed just, us Midge. They showed us growing up Sally or whatever. They did show us Midge and growing up Sally and the little dog that poops and Sugar Daddy and the other one. Um <laughs> No, it was great. It was a really great movie. I think it absolutely deserves an A. It just isn't. It was just a little bit confused, you know? Um, <laughs> look, I want to push you around, you know? I will, you know? Well, I will. That's how I feel about it. You know what I'm saying? Um, I want to take this movie for granted. Yeah. Yeah, well, I will. You know, that's how I feel about it. And the immortal words of Rob Thomas, I think, I think that that about closes it out for me. You know, I don't know. It just, it was just a little bit too much for the headiness much, and the verbose women, verbosity women. of it all. It it reached so far and so hard, and it did a great job. But I think it extended its reach just a hair too much at times. But for all the simple joys of the production design, the excellent performances, the, the simple humor came through so beautifully. Um, you know, and for all that, it deserves an A. All right. It was so much fun, dude. Here's the thing. You got to see Oppenheimer. Dude. You got to do it. You got to go see it. Go see it for me, dude. It. I can't see it. That's the problem. I can't see it in 70 millimeter because I live in a garbage city. You live in, you know, the best part of America, the real America, as they call it. The heart New of England. America. Yes. Yeah. 
the you know and Spirit so of you, Massachusetts. you have Spirit to do it for me i have to know if it's good you know is it worth the hubbub and you're the only one that can tell me because i don't know anyone else that lives within striking distance and would actually do it you know all right i'll do it man margot robbie was so great in this i mean I've never seen her do a bad job in anything. And I always walk away from her movies being like, she was so great in that. But I mean, wasn't she so great in this, you know? Oh yeah. I think so. I think she was a pretty good job. Pretty good. Hmm. Well, yeah. Thank you so much for listening. You can find us places. You can share us places. We are opinion havers on social media as at opinion havers. I don't know. Twitter's sort of busted. I might just delete it all and, you know, wipe the slate clean. It's fine. If you want me to wipe the slate clean, you just tweet us at opinion havers. Until next time, watch movies and have opinions. We didn't even give any, like, flowers to the dancing in this movie. I mean, when you get to watch a movie with dancing this fun, it's just, what did we do to deserve those dance moves? Alan's dance moves? Oh, brought a smile to my face, you know? When Ryan Gosling's all sad and he dances away after being rejected (laughs) for another night at the Barbie Dreamhouse. It's just perfect, you know? It's beautiful. That's what we need. He dance battles Simu Liu. You know what I'm saying? This is what a what a tr- we didn't deserve this movie. And you know, may we never get another one like it. I agree.